Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting a show. You can download directly from our website at techcentre.ie, use a smartphone podcast app. Apple Podcasts, of course, is there for you. Or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Niall Kitson, who's out on assignment again this week. You're at the, uh, uh, the uh, which conference is it you're at today? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm finally at AR Innovation. Ah. ARVR Innovate out in the RDS. Excellent. We've been speaking to some of the people over the last uh, uh, week or two, so you're doing that for real today. Later on, uh, you were also talking to a chap from Convocon about how we interact with computers and uh, and speaking with computers with uh, Google Assistant and Alexa and Siri and uh, Google Translate, it has to be said, and all that. And I have to say, I listened to the interview you did, Niall. It's amazing. Going to play that in around about 10 minutes. Uh, but first, uh, we have some more technology that has died this week. Yeah, pray tell, fun. pray tell. It's who do we to look at? Uh, <laughs> who at do we mourn? The way out. Uh, I mean, you remember last year we said goodbye to the VCR properly. Um, I still have one. Do you, did did you still have one at home? Uh, what I did actually was I took my VCR and I put it in the attic with a couple of key cassettes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's probably a good way to do it. I mean, I've got I've got a load of video cassettes that are now sitting in my sitting in my in my front room with sort of an arrow pointing into it, saying "Get rid of," because <laughs> we don't have that much storage space. So, so yeah, last year was the end of the VCR, um, and now we have the end of the pager. Um, now, I, do you remember when pagers were kind of at their peak in Ireland? Uh, I don't me, remember. Anyway. I, I don't remember them ever being really that big in Ireland. I remember seeing them on American uh, TV shows and movies all the time, and I remember people used them in Ireland. But they were, were they ever really a big thing here? I, I don't think so because uh, peak pager, if we want to call it that, happened just around the time mobile phones were becoming affordable in mm. Ireland. So they kind of grew up together over here, and of course, pagers found their niche in you know healthcare. Um, which is which is fine, um, and and only up until recently, um, I guess, if you want to look at it in cosmic terms. Uh, whereas mobile phones are becoming more affordable um, and becoming a little less cumbersome, uh, and they kind of rapidly eclipsed pagers in the in the national consciousness. But uh, yeah, I mean, pagers in the states were popular for years after, mm. um, and and years before actually. Uh, I think it was, was it Jennifer Lopez had a song called "Beat Me Nine One One." Uh, maybe or Laurie Estefan I'm thinking of uh, maybe that's calling Dr. Beast Some, someone of that ilk please, please someone correct us in the show notes um, but uh, yeah I mean pagers certainly on American television you know they, they occupied mm. this certain wonderful plot device shortcut uh, and I never really made it over here so what has happened in England is Vodafone were on the verge of selling their pager business to a company called Capita um, and regulate decided to come in and investigate um, on grounds that it, it would remove competition from the market and Vodafone said do you, do you know what we'll just we'll drop it it's not it's not worth the effort god forbid somebody finds against us um, it, it's worth more than the pager business actually is we'll just get out of the market completely um, so now you know if, if you have a pager you're, you're holding on to a piece of mm. history actually the the best reference to pagers that I came across in, in recent years um, were you a fan of 30 Rock uh, I was actually yes. Well, you remember uh, Liz Lemon's 
deadbeat ex-boyfriend who was played by the, the very excellent Dean Winters. Um, uh, he, he had, you know, ridiculous schemes to make money. And one of them was selling pagers. He was like, mobile phones are done. <laughs> pagers are coming back. <laughs> so the pager is officially dead. Uh, another story that's making news this week is uh, uh, an app, a mobile phone, smartphone app uh, that went on, on an initial public offering and made $28 billion uh, is not doing so well three months later. Who is it and what happened? Yeah, of course, it's Snapchat that we're going to talk about here. It's sort of the, the messaging application that could, and now it's gotten its first real dose of reality. Uh, I mean, you know, Snapchat has just been this giant hype machine over the last couple of years. I mean, they, they turned down a $2.2 billion bid from Facebook. Uh, apparently, the company is worth $28 billion now. That's what it floated for. Um, however... It's had a pretty, it's had a pretty bad first quarter results, uh, or rather first public quarter results that we know about. Um, Snapchat's popularity is predominantly based on, you know, getting more and more users in, uh, and its user base only grew by five percent in the last quarter, which is not good. I think it was versus thirty six percent the previous year, um, and one of the reasons this happened, Snapchat said, look, we're not, we're not going to do any of this growth hacking stuff. We're not going to do, you know click here for this, click here for that. We're not really interested in it. We'll just let people come to um, Snapchat organically. And, you know, people will come and they'll see the benefit. And, you know, it might be a slow burn from here on in, but um, this is the strategy we want to adopt. And, of course, markets being markets want money in now um, didn't take kindly to it. And apparently shares were down a quarter. Uh, a big chunk of um, the loss uh, for the quarter as well was um, just money paid out to employees. You know, congratulations, we're in the money here you go. And mm. that's, that's where an awful lot of the losses came from. It's basically just showing the love to their staff. Well, I have, I, have, I have to say, anybody who actually invested in Snapchat, I think, is a complete idiot. Um, well, I, and I'll tell you why, right? Because there's, a key, there's one key word that gives away the entire operation, right? Snapchat has 160 million daily users. And my yes. problem is with the word users, because users are no good, they use you. What you need is 160 million daily customers. Then you have a business. That's, that's a very important point. Uh, and I think that kind of, uh, if you look at LinkedIn, which is a social network that, you know, people accept is kind of boring. And it's got, you know, a pretty small user base compared to Facebook, but it does okay. You know, mm. it, it holds its own. Um, and that's because it has its niche and its niche is professionals mm -hmm. and professionals that work for, in, in many cases, large companies, which actually do have a marketing budget. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then also, from what I remember, because I don't use LinkedIn that often, I'm on it, but I don't really use it. Uh, they've got a free tier. And then if you want extras, you pay for them. Yeah. So yeah, at least it's, it's, there's some kind of a financial model in there, whereas uh, uh, Snapchat is, is, is relying on advertising. And for a man who's worked uh, in businesses that rely on advertising all my life. I know you're on thin ice. Uh, the third story that we're covering this week then is uh, was a very interesting French election, which was interesting for the politics side of things. But on Friday, literally hours before the media moratorium on coverage of the uh, the French election, uh, there was a major data dump, and they're saying that uh, another very well known country may have been behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, just just there's form at this stage, really, isn't there? Um, and it's probably arguable that it didn't work as well as the um, the hackers would have hoped. I mean, apparently, it's traceable back to the the Fancy Bear Group, which is is but totally you know isn't but totally is affiliated to uh, to the Kremlin, and um, 
apparently this data dump, yeah, it, it did come out before the before the moratorium. Now, whether that was by design or accident, I don't know. But it was leaped upon by a lot of um, alt writers in the in the states who were like, "Oh, look at this, look at that." But um, the official line from the Macron camp was. Yeah, it's our campaign stuff. It's really mundane. It's actually kind of dull to read. And to spice things up, they threw in some fake documents. That's fine. Do your thing. Well, I thought, <laughs> Which I thought was a very interesting way to cover it. Well, I thought that was a great move by uh, the Macron camp to be able to say, OK, well, yeah, they've taken millions of documents and it's all normal stuff that you would expect. And they've added their own fake documents to it, which is kind of, you know, throwing doubt on anything that anybody would have found. Uh, and I think another line that they took was, uh, we knew where we, being ha- we were being hacked, so we threw in a load of our own fake documents as well. <laughs> So basically, what what you have is a dump of fake documents and we know all about it. So off you go. <laughs> and I thought that was a really yeah. nice. Uh, I think the other thing that the, the people who wanted to do damage, uh, they did very badly, was that they left it too late to actually dump the documents because it was literally like uh, the, 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 with hours to go before the media could not report on it or anybody could find yeah. it or say what was in the document. So effectively, it was useless. But do you know what was very interesting was how they got the information in the first place? And this is one to be aware of, Niall, right? They used simple old phishing techniques, all right? Um, and we've seen that before where it's kind of, you know, where, where, you know, you get a fake login or whatever. Um, uh, and, and when you look at the URL, it's obvious that it's not Google that you're logging into or it's not your bank that you're logging into. All right. Yeah. These so this is like email lands into your account. There's been an unauthorized login. Click this link to confirm your identity or something. Exactly. Stupid and then like normally, yeah. normally you're able to tell from the URL. But what these fellas did was they upped their game a little bit. And I really, really liked what they did okay so say the uh the official website for macron's campaign was uh, on marsh uh, on dash marsh dot fr okay mm-hmm. they okay. somehow managed to register mail dot on dot marsh dot fr okay that's clever Exactly. So it's looking like it's an official mail server. Or the other thing that they did for Google, and this is one to watch out for, normally you'd lobby into, you know, mail.google.com. They registered an email address, uh, or say they registered a URL, which was mail.google.com dash something, 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 password change dash something, something, something dot GZ, dodgy country, whatever it was. Yeah. And you look at it and you kind of think, all right, well, it says, you know, mail.google.com and then there's a whole load of gobbledygook code, which is obviously identifying me. Uh, so it must be fine. I'll log in. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they got it. So I thought that was a, a that was definitely one to be aware of because there's so many uh, uh, phishing campaigns going out there at the moment. And it's spreading now to text messages and telephones where you're getting missed calls and all that kind of thing. So you have to be uh, so, so careful. You know what I say now? I say to help with it all and bring back the pager. (laughs) This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. With Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant, we're slowly getting used to talking to machines. But how good is the technology and how will we be using it in the future? Convercom was an event that took place in Dublin last week addressing those very issues. So Niall Kitson met with the organiser, Paul Sweeney, to find out about the state of the art of conversation. 
This afternoon, I'm out at the Science Gallery in Trinity College, Dublin, for the first ConverCon. And uh, if you haven't heard of it, that's fine. We're going to explain all that in a moment. And uh, joining me is the Chief Product Officer of Webio and event organiser, Paul Sweeney. So, Paul, let's just jump into it. What exactly is ConverCon and why should we care about it? Uh, well, thank you for having us. Um, well, ConverCon was basically in response to seeing a bunch of things across the world in the chatbot space. And we said, actually, there's, there's a lot of companies in Ireland that are right now um, doing this stuff. Um, we have the platform players like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook. We have vendors like Intercom, uh, uh, Webio, uh, who are going to be using these platforms to deliver services. We've, had a number of announcements around big design companies coming in with design thinking and we've had big banks and customers using this stuff but what we haven't had is a really good place to have a conversation around what happens for this stuff to happen what does it mean and what are its potential implications so we wanted to go deeper than just to talk about chatbots because really you know chatbots are um they're kind of like a Trojan horse for this whole conversation. And as we've developed this idea for the conference, you know, you, you see that people latch on to the idea of um, Amazon Alexa as a, a kind of more in-the-world, relatable example. So when you say, hey, you know, Alexa, turn down my lights. Hey, Alexa, where is my car? Um, Alexa, turn off all the computers. You know, kids, time to do homework. Um, what you're doing is you're having a conversation with your house, you're having a conversation with your family, and, and you're managing things through that interface. So it's a, it's a, the adoption pattern on Alexa, when you look at it, is quite like phenomenal. When you look at 5% of all outstanding jobs at Amazon are now for the Alexa team, um, there's obviously a huge commitment to this going forward. So... Um, we wanted to be a part of that global conversation and we thought that Dublin could make its mark. So we just set down a flag and said we're going to get everyone in the room. And, and that's the thing about Dublin and Ireland is you can, if you can get, like you can probably get 100 people in a room and make a really meaningful conversation occur because everyone knows everyone. It's a small town geographically. It's a small town socially. So we were able to get like, like really good speakers from Microsoft and all these players. Um, we have Oracle here today. I mean, Oracle is huge. They have a big presence here, but Oracle wanted to be here as well. Um, and we have small companies. We have startups. We have a whole bunch of them. We wanted to, we reached out and we handpicked people too, like people in AI, people in the programming space, because we wanted to have uh, designers, programmers, business people, and have an open conversation around well, why is it interesting? Like, why should I be concerned about this? Like, why, why should I be paying attention to this? And also, well, what's stopping this stuff from happening? And, and then also for maybe some of the business people, where do I start and what's tactical and what's strategic? I think what's interesting about the speakers that you brought over is that there is this sort of cross-section of disciplines involved, in particular with user experience, mm. um, because some of the, the background noise is that user conversational experience is the new user experience mm. at a stage where people are just getting used to UX as being the centre of a good website. Mm. Uh, are we going to see conversation just become, again, just part of a, a good functioning website? I personally believe so. 
Um, now, I think, like everything, it takes longer than people expect to happen, but when it does happen, the implications are more profound than people understood. So, um, like we have people here today, Typeform, doing uh, demos on how to turn forms into a conversation. So instead of looking down through the form and then seeing all the questions, you're actually having a conversation through which the data is gathered. Now, that's all very well, but how did, how did you feel as the customer or the user? Uh, did it take longer? Did it take less time? And did more people complete than completed before? And their research is yes, it is more successful, even for something like forms. So I think that there's a way of looking at um, discrete digital objects and saying, can they be better done? Uh, conversationally. I think there's specific processes and areas of the business uh, that can be more conversational. Like, you, you might be tempted to do some clever marketing through conversations, and there's some, you know, good evidence that it does engage. But maybe it's, it's not where the future is. Like, the future with a big center of how do I order things, how do I know where things are, that's the customer service function. And that's the big one where if you can, if you can because the way I look at it is, is this is almost another step in the self-service revolution. Like digital, when we talk about digital, we forget. Like before this, like you couldn't go, in fact, commas, online, figure out where your stuff was, get information and walk away. And it's like, oh, the, the internet, and you kind of think about it as like next day delivery is the miracle and same day delivery miracle and then this next hour's delivery. Actually, this is just all part of the self-service revolution that happened. So it's, <clears throat> does this enable people to find and get and do what they want better, faster, more conveniently? And I'll tell you, what, I had a light bulb moment uh, doing some research a while back, and it was, if, if you're on a mobile browser and you open it up on Macy's Fifth Avenue... Macy's Fifth Avenue goes, hey, uh, this is Paul. He's on site. Don't give him a browser of a website. Like, don't, don't do that. Give him an intelligent assistant. And so now I'm looking at an intelligent assistant in a web page, and it's saying, hey, Paul, uh, delighted to have you on store. Um, menswear is on the second floor, and we have a special offer on golf clubs today on the third floor. And you go, oh, that's convenient. Now, it knew that because it pulled a ton of information from my web browser, from my phone, but it also did lookups and it said, well, what was I recently browsing? What was I looking for? Great. I was up the night before browsing the Macy's website looking for golf clubs. Now, again, it, 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 it can do a, maybe a bunch of other nice stuff like give me a map to the floor, tell me how to navigate the shop. It might tell me who the assistant is and why they're so great at giving advice on golf clubs. But really, when I get to the top floor and I meet that assistant, that assistant is also on a, uh, a browser of some sort or has an assistant. And that assistant is telling that employee, hey, this is Paul. He's a casual player. He, he's probably up for buying new golf clubs, but not too much. Um, he's got two kids. You know, he probably has this kind of a car. Tell him it'll fit in the car. They're easy care and, you know, they're light because that's all he, he really needs to know. So when I'm buying the golf clubs, I go, well, this was a really great experience. It's really friendly. They kind of knew what I wanted. They had it delivered to my house afterwards, no problem. I paid from just saying, okay, and that's all great. So would you like to buy them? Yeah, I would. That's great. Have them delivered to my house. That's great, Mr. Sweeney. They'll be there by three today. And now if I go. And I go, well, and what was so amazing about that? He says, well, there kind of was no technology between us. 
it doesn't look like we were tapping away at interfaces or scrolling down through screens or so we had a we had a personal interaction facilitated by technology and that's why i really like the idea that um, like great technology foregrounds the person it it makes you your experience of the thing amazing and your experience of another person amazing because maybe we found the thing we wanted to talk about more quickly or we were able to organize our trip better together it, it, it just was more like even as people um, you know when we we're trying to organize a coffee or we're trying to organize the time next week to meet up for a coffee like the simpler that is the more likely it is for us to do that thing and what's interesting in what you've described there that sort of frictionless experience from when you go to the shop you're pulling in an awful lot of technology like voice recognition for example but you're also putting in massive um, massive amount of data but from very different streams as well that would exist in sort of cleverly defined silos I guess in the past which raises the question of identity management and data protection because each of those silos at the moment has a particular headache attached to it so how do you manage all those disparate streams to bring them together it's a great question so what what we've done today is we've made that actually our very first session so we have a a, a private session here with a, a bunch of these players to try and figure out how do people address issues of data protection uh, security privacy and how central do these have to be to the conversation moving forward and uh, I think there's uh, some of the big players will obviously have as their business model a different view on data than maybe some of the banks so I think it's not going to be an easy road to make everything happen Um, if if this occurs through a um, say Microsoft then there'll be one kind of standard of privacy if it's through Facebook then it's another standard if they're all involved in the conversation then whose terms of service does that fall under or who's governing that conversation so I think all this still has to be worked out I think the European model, I think, would be quite a shock to, to a lot of American oh. companies because you have, you know, portability, the need for notification right. of breaches, right. the entire GDPR smorgasbord that's coming down the line right. next year. So, absolutely. Um, and it's one of the reasons we want to get everyone in the room as well is, um, like, you don't want to be there in 12 months' time and going, what? Uh, I've just designed my software to do this. So, even that's why Webio invited... Uh, a bunch of what we technically competitors to go look please come because these are issues facing the industry and you're going to have to have these sort of issues sorted out um, so you do have to have the data portability you are going to have to have um, the ability to to roll the data back you're going to have to tell people where the data is at rest and like like all these new rules so who's in charge of it like who's what, what's your team like what what are the knowns what are the unknowns like where are you in this stuff so yeah that is front and center with us today as well and when uh, we're looking at sort of i guess the present slash near future of conversational experience what exactly do we think we will be able to accomplish in one year two years as opposed to the the blue sky thinking i mean what will people's experience be today tomorrow well, you know, I, I think the the easy stuff is um, like if you look at the last customer electronics show, like maybe the number one announcement was we now integrate with Amazon Alexa. So hey, our couch, our table, our chair, our car is all now skill on Alexa. So I don't think it takes a great bound of imagination to say you're going to be able to control a lot of things through Amazon Alexa. Um, they're ch- they have challenges. 
around voice recognition, around uh, identity management, multiple identities, multiple voice prints, understanding those things, that, that will get solved. Um, so, I, I, and I think they'll be more accurate. So, I think, fa- fa- uh, I think uh, um, Amazon will get more accurate. Google is already incredibly accurate, but not as not as tied into the ecosystem. But I think they will even out, right? or, or it'll be eighty twenty. Like Amazon gets everything, and then twenty percent for the other guys. So, I think the battle is initially for whose assistant you use. Um, and that that's going to become then the governing technology under, and then the terms of service and everything is under that. So I think you will do um, things like when you're driving, uh, when you're out and about, um, when you're in your house, I think you will use voice interfaces in some situations. And I think you may look for your, your confirmations or your choices either in voice or other modes. So you can be presented with visual clues like press this, press that, or dial over here. So I don't, I don't think it all is exclusively going to be in one, uh, one mode. And I think we've seen that already with like people have struggling with text, pure text-based interaction, going, the text isn't good enough, the textual interaction isn't delivering, so we're going to flip this to like buttons. Because, because we knew what we were doing. Like, we know it's yes, no, car, yes, no. I didn't need to be parsing this stuff uh, so, so difficult. So um, I think we'll see mixed media, like part voice, part visual, part AR, part sound. I think, I think there's going to be no purity. Everyone I've spoken to during the course of trying to organize this ultimately thinks that the conversation itself is the artifact. The fact it's happening in an app or happening in a voice or happening somewhere else is kind of like an artificial boundary right now. And that ultimately what we'll see is a concept of a conversation to which other things become attached. And um, so I, I think that then it becomes like, well, how do, we, how do we think about that as almost schema? How do we think about that as something that's interoperable at scale, that one system can speak to another and they understand they're speaking and passing on the same kind of um, context from one conversation to the other? So I, I think the future is um, it'll be mixed um, it'll be situational. Um, it'll only need to be tied back to a, an identity. And then, then it's how that identity is kind of faceted across the different contexts, I think. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Paul Sweeney from ConvertCon. Now, just before we go this week, uh, Niall's still with us on the phone at the uh, conference. Niall, tell us, what is our one more thing this week? The one story that's online that we couldn't squeeze into the show. Yeah, well, NVIDIA has high hopes for for self-driving cars, and it all comes down to what they call the Amazon effect. Wow, you can get more on that and all of the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at 6 o'clock on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.